podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Old New Borrow Blue, uh, a show about Evertonians' favourite things about Everton, favourite players, stuff like that. This week, I am joined by Paddy Boylan to go through his favourite old player, still favourite former player, new, favourite current player, borrowed, favourite loan player, and blue, just general favourite Evertonian. Uh, Paddy, how are you? I'm good. How are things? Yep, all good. Nice to be kicking off this new show. Um, so we'll get we'll get straight into it. So, old, who is your favourite former player? How many times has somebody said this to you in recent weeks? It's only the second one I've done, and they've right. been the same. So there you go. All oh, right, okay. I'm imagining um, a lot of people will say it though. Yeah, so so it's it's Leighton Baines. Um, I grew up. My first Everton teams were towards the end of the Walter Smith era. So it was a pretty dreary time to be. It was grim, yeah. Evertonian, and the, like the, the obviously the the common joke was that he'd play a team full of centre halves if he had the opportunity. Yeah, it, it, effectively, it'd be a back four or five, all of centre halves. Reminded me a little bit of Carlo Ancelotti's time actually, <laughs> with, with the centre backs. Albeit we didn't have James Rodriguez, um. So that that was quite bleak, and obviously David Moyes comes in. There's a, there's still a fear of relegation, but he very quickly stabilises, as we know. Um, and all my Everton heroes growing up as an Evertonian were from that era, more so than, than the one before. So Cahill, Arteta, um, Jagielka, obviously having retired fairly recently, conjured loads of memories of him, um, and in particular his duels with, with Fernando Torres when, when he was playing against Liverpool in those derby games. But I think it has to be Baines. And I think it's Baines because he's just kind of this, this all-encompassing thing for Evertonians and being a, a local lad come good. Um, he listened to all the same music as I did at the time and was hanging around with the bands that I would have wanted to hang around with. Yeah, this was the thing about him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. so he, he, he transcended football. And I always like that with football as we'll, we'll, we'll speak about another one late, later down the line. Who does that? Um... So I kind of admired him for that. I was a bit jealous of him for that. But but as a player, he, I would say he's the best player I've seen in my time watching Everton so far. Um, and there have obviously been some that have gone on to maybe bigger and better things. Rooney, Lukaku, players like that. But just for sheer excellence in his position as a left-back, getting into, I think it was two PFA teams of the year at a time when the Premier League was stacked with really good left-backs. Yeah, yeah, it um, was. You have Ashley Cole, obviously, famously, Patrice Evra, Gail Clichy, uh, various others. Um, but for him to make it into those teams twice on two separate occasions, I think, shows just how good he was. Yeah. Um, and the, the mad thing is, when we signed him, he couldn't get in the team. No. So you say you say about Walter Smith playing five, four, four or five centre-backs. Mm. You had Julian Lescott, a centre-back, playing left-back, keeping him out, which, I mean, Lescott did well there. He but did. when you think about it, it's insane, isn't it? Let's, so, let, it, was, it was really strange watching Lescott in that role because it was ill-fitting. But he had that Jared Brantwaite at left-back thing where because he yeah. was big and had this physicality about him, he just shuffled down the line relentlessly. And it would look odd. Again, Dan Burns, another one, it would look odd. But it was somehow effective. And I think for Moyes, a little bit like with Sean Dyche, and there are many parallels, I think, between the two. But for Moyes, it's all about trust. And sometimes it's, I'll play this player out of position over another purely because I believe they're going to do what I want and they're going to 
carry out my instructions. And you almost had to earn his faith over a period of time. Mm-hmm. And kind of Baines came in as a diminutive left back who'd obviously played for played for Wigan. So I, I suppose he'd had to earn his court. He wasn't he wasn't cheap though, was he? When you know, comparatively anyway, then he, I think he cost five million up front, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, I remember I think it was Sunderland that were kind of big in for yeah. him at the time as well. So there was a question mark as to whether he'd come for Everton and Everton sort of in the end gazumped Sunderland to, to, to get him to Goodison. Um as a Kirby lad, I think that was probably an easy decision for him to make in the end. Um but just just the excellence, the sheer excellence over an extended period of time, the iconic goals and celebrations and moments. I mean, I've got several, I'm sure you have as well. But I love that image of him kind of jumping in sheer joy, kid-like, after he scored against Chelsea. Um, that really late goal in the cup away yeah. from Chelsea, the, the, the free kick to take it to penalties and Everton subsequently won. But he jumps up and Again, like it, it, it's a sense of euphoria that you probably get. It's the same response you get from a fan. Yeah. Um, and I love the, the kit as well. Oh, the cream one. Yeah. The navy. Yeah. 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 It was. It was. Yeah. It was amazing. That that was that was one of those high moments from Baines, wasn't it? I mean, there was a lot, as you say. He was. Yeah. You know, probably the best in Europe in that position at, yeah. at least one stage. Um, and I think it's interesting that you touch upon the fact that he's not. He's not your cliched footballer, let's say. So another one that springs to mind. He's very much like Pat Nevin in a lot of ways. Yeah. Left sided player, diminutive, and like things that other footballers don't really like, like yeah. for a start. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he seems yeah. to go one further and he knocked about with Arctic monkeys and things like that. Yeah, yeah. He sort of became a mate of theirs. One thing that surprised me, and you know, you've got more sort of insider knowledge, uh, definitely than I have anyway. Has it surprised you that he? He looks like he could be going into management because I thought he'd be one of those players who, once he's finished, do you know what? Football was a good career. Enjoyed it, but I've got other stuff I want yeah. to do. Yeah, I have to be honest. It, it it would have done two or three years ago. So so when he retired, and I suppose even from even before he retired, there was a general sense from what we were hearing that he'd fallen out of love with the professional game. Hmm. That it was it was just it had just become a bit of a drag for him and kind of these grueling sessions, relentless games. Everton weren't in a great place at the time, obviously. And I think it, it can be easy to fall out of love in those circumstances with, with the thing you've done for such a long period of time. Um, I think everyone then expected him to have almost, I suppose, what would you call a sabbatical, where he just goes yeah. off and does something completely different. And I think for him, that was mainly kind of spending time with family and being around the city and seeing friends and going to good gigs and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was a bit of a surprise when he started being bandied around, even for the Everton under-18s job. And I still think he's a bit of an anachronism in that role, in, in so far as how many interviews has he done? Yeah, that's true. Since, since he became Everton under-18s manager. I can count maybe two or three with club channels over the whole of his time. Mm. And that's unusual. Even on under-18 level, you get media requests from people like ourselves, from, yeah. from other outlets. There'd be a ton of people queuing up to interview Leighton Baines on anything. Yeah. Never mind just, just Everton under-18s and, and how his coaching's going. Um, but I think he's got an aptitude for it. He's, he, like, he, like you say, a little bit like Pat Nevin, he's a, he's a thinker, and it, it's quite clear early on that he, he, he looked at the game in a certain way and 
he would develop with teammates ways unique almost like unique routes to goal um and one of the thing that really annoyed me kind of of late is this suggestion that fullbacks and what they're doing now are almost reinventing the game oh no it's yeah <laughs> i mean for me the, the fullback role has always been all right first and foremost you defend it but you get forward any chance you can yeah like that's that's what you do and there was yeah, there was the sort of thing, wasn't there, where Liverpool reinvented this fullback thing a few years ago and Bain Because they it. got because they got assists. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like, like we're going look at his assist record. Yeah, yeah, it's unreal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean yeah. that's the thing as well. He, you know, unfortunately for him and us, he's not got the trophies, but the, the stats, the stats he's got to back everything but, up just to say that he was one of the best. But I also, but I also think like you get these kind of blind comparisons between what he he did. And what others did in more successful teams. It's like, well, yeah, if you put yeah. players in better teams with better strikers in front in front of them and with kind of more more kind of elaborate passing midfielders, of course they're gonna do better. Um I, I think people forget that at times Everton didn't always carry a huge amount of goal scoring prowess during Moyes' time. It would often be a, a Kale or Fellaini coming from midfield to yeah, get yeah. these crosses. Times when we didn't play with the striker at all. I mean, oh, I don't think, yeah. we, I think we had one for a couple of years, did we? It was, yeah. it was Kale and Fellaini. So, it seemed like every time we play Aston Villa, it would be Kale or Fellaini from yeah. during, <laughs> during that run. But even, even this kind of sense that fullbacks don't overlap, they they underlap, as Gary Neville terms it, and they, they, they come inside. Yeah. And they, the, the winger goes on the outside. I mean, Leighton Baines and Stephen Bean are doing that. Yeah. However many years ago now. Yeah, he were. Um, and doing it really well. I think I remember a game where Baines did that was it against Forest. There's another one against Newcastle where he kind of came inside off the line and was fed in the channel and just kind of arrowed shots in. And he, he had that about him. I think he was a better defender as well than people gave him credit for. Um, and I think he was hard, harshly treated by England too. Oh, he was. Well, there was that famous thing for the 2010 World Cup where he, he sort of just, I think he made a sort of bit of a throwaway comment that he liked to spend time with his family. Yeah. And that was interpreted as, oh, you don't want to go to the World Cup then? All right, we'll take Stephen Warnock. We'll take Stephen Warnock, <laughs> which, uh, and, I, and I know, I mean, subsequently he's spoken about that, hasn't he, and how that yeah. was all manipulated to fit an agenda. Um, And it's probably why, in truth, and I'd say this as a member of the media, he lost faith in the media. Yeah, because he was aware that some people in the game are out for a, a quick line, or a, or wanting to spin a line. That might be why he doesn't do much with yeah with people now. Um, but the point I've made repeatedly, going back to his managerial career, is that at some point, if he wants to go down that path, he's going to have to. And I do think if Duncan Ferguson can, if Duncan Ferguson can do it, like Baines can, because famously he would never talk to anyone. I don't even think he gave many interviews at Everton when he was there in the mid nineties as a player. Wouldn't you want? Wouldn't you want Ferguson as like the the number two, the enforcer, like the Archie Knox of the piece? Yeah. Um, with with Baines as the kind of the one that sits just above the the manager with the overall authority. I can see that. We can dream, can't we? It'd be lovely. It is. It is <laughs> nice. It is nice to see that that generation, I suppose, of of Evertonians now going on and I don't at a, at a low level, admittedly, with within Inverness, but doing well. Um, and it also starts to make me feel really old because you get the players that I grew up watching as a kid now going into management. 
mate, wait, wait till you have an Everton manager who's younger than you. That's when you really feel old, trust me. It's, it's not um, fun, right? <laughs> right, good, solid choice for your old player there. We'll move on to new. So, yeah. who is your favourite current player? I said to Dave in the last one, I did, it's nice to actually have the opportunity to say, I actually like some of these lads now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I actually struggled for that reason. And <laughs> I should say, it perhaps wouldn't have been like that in previous years. Um, so, I, I kind of toyed with James Tarkovsky as a stalwart who always stands up, is always available with media, even after a defeat. He's, he's one of the few that holds his hand up and wants to speak. Um, and I also just love the fact that he, he's there shoving people at the end of games when players need to be shoved. Yeah. We, we asked we asked him about one of the scraps against Newcastle recently and why he, why he in particular got involved in because I like to push people. <laughs> I admired that honesty and that clarity. Um, loads of them had kind of a, a lot of admiration for what Jordan Pickford's done. Don't think Everton would be a Premier League outfit without him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see who other people pick. But I've, I've gone for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, and again, goes back to the point about Leighton Baines, where he's, he's he's got this life away from football. And I think he's a bit more maligned for it than Baines because it deviates a little bit more from the norm than Baines. But but I've never, ever really had a problem with that. And actually, I, I, I think players should be encouraged to just be themselves effectively. Yeah. And maybe we've got a bit of a retrograde culture in British football at times. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, what's allowed and what's yeah. not. I mean, if, if you look if you look at the Baines example, right, you like indie music, that's a bit weird. You like clothes, get out. It's like, yeah. you know, yes. you, know, you yeah. want to dress well and listen to good music, you've got no place here, mate. It's very well, strange. It's really strange. I, I thought it was a particularly odd. He did, a, he did a Monday night football for Sky and I thought he was, he, I thought he was, really quite good actually kind of a promising pundit and you go on twitter and all the comments underneath are like why aren't you in the gym working and oh like, it's when he was injured wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. it's like nine o'clock at night <laughs> he doesn't have to be in from 7 a.m until nine nine in the evening um and it, it's like it's like people think there is you know as you say there's no life outside football and you know when you think about it footballers they have a lot of free time yeah have a lot of free time on the hands. So the fact that he's filling it with, you know, you know, doing photo shoots, doing modeling, yeah. it's better than being sat in a hotel playing on an Xbox for yeah. seven hours after training. So it's that that's a very good point because there are there are countless examples of, of players now in particular getting big into the gaming culture and staying up until two, three or in the morning, not being able to get to sleep, and then are probably zoned out the next day. Yeah. Um I mean, who, who's to say who does or doesn't do that? But I think that was the, the, the kind of the off-field persona with Calvert-Lewin was just a part of this for me and maybe one of the differentiating factors from other players. The other is, I, I think I'm more invested in his story than with others too, purely because of the arc we've been on. Yeah. Uh, where he's had this relentless stream of injuries. In truth, it probably at various points has looked like he would never get back. And now has put together his most sustained run in the side since um well since he first got injured, I suppose. Yeah. I think Dice deserves a lot of credit for that. And he will get the credit for that. You see it in the media. But maybe the thing that's written less is just how much Dominic said today to get back. Yeah, um, true. 
and, and the steps he's done. And I mean, like, we've written it ourselves. Like he, he he's pretty fastidious. He, he works hard in the gym. He's obviously body conscious. Um, he's got his own nutritionist, all that kind of stuff. So he tries to do all the right things. Yeah, it's just a case he's been unlucky, and and in in some very early cases in his in his injuries, badly managed. Yeah, managers or or whoever else, and I'm not naming any names, but <laughs> maybe, maybe someone that used to live on the Wirral. <laughs> I think he still does. Yeah, um, I'll try and find out where his house is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a that's a really good point. You can't. You can't underestimate the, the toll that takes on a player who just yeah. wants to play football. And this is the thing, you know, because he's got like these other interests outside of the game, mm-hmm. people automatically assume, well, he doesn't want to play football anyway. He's going to be punting about doing this. But, you know, as a lad who wants to play football, he's very good at playing football. And if you're getting injured after injury, the toll that must take on you mentally, it's, you know, so Sean Dice, gets, as you say, gets a lot of credit for putting the player ahead of his own sort of personal advancement because as we've seen with other managers the easiest thing to do when a player is 70% fit throw him in because yeah. it's my on the line here and that's what they worry about Dice hasn't but then well, yes Dom has said, said that himself hasn't he he said that at times he was maybe a bit too keen to, to, to yeah. get back into the side and that that's led to relapses and, and re-injuries um, it's quite interesting I, I interviewed Tom Davis last year when he was I suppose on already on the way out at Everton he, he knew his, his time was up and he knew he needed to go somewhere else and play. And he said that, I think it was Davis, he, he kind of effectively what he said was that a lot of us have this stuff outside of football and it's a coping mechanism. It's, it's, it's like that's the other part of our life and we need that separation between work and play effectively. Yeah. Um, and if, if we take a step back and take the money out of it, which should be irrelevant here, but we all need that. We all, yeah. we all, I, I need it sometimes to just be able to completely switch off from, in my job as an Everton reporter, Everton not being very good. I just, it, sometimes I have to. So um, I think I think we should get that and I think we should maybe be a bit more empathetic. Um, Danny Donachie, the former head of Everton Medical, obviously has, has, has spoken quite a lot about Dom and um, he worked with him in his time and he, he was always very clear. He works hard and he wants to, he wants to do the right things, and he's just been a bit unlucky and a bit mismanaged along the way. Yeah. Um, but but as a, as a footballer, I think when he's really on it, he's got a lot more strings to his bow than maybe some people give him credit for too. Um, there's a lot of discussion about Dyche's tactics in the game against um, Fulham in the Carabao Cup quarter final, for example. And I, I think they almost neuter and negate some of. Dom's abilities, and if you just bang the ball up to somebody for 70, 80 minutes against a six foot five defender, it's a pretty thankless task. Yeah. I think, I think like we've seen him against Brighton last season. He was brilliant at running the channels and cutting the ball back for for, for, for Decore and, and McNeil in particular. Um, amazing leap, the best leap of any Everton player I've seen with, with Tim Cale a close second. Yeah. Um, and he scored some great goals. I just think they need to be careful now. Like th- that for me on Tuesday night was one of his weakest performances since he came back into the team. And my, my fear is that there's just this run of games that's relentless. It's grueling. I think it's five in two weeks, effectively. Yeah. Give or take. And I think with somebody like him, you have to manage him. Not just to keep him 
away from injury, but I think just to keep him top shape. Yeah, I, I think. And we've got we've got an option now. We've got yeah. we've got someone there on the bench. So I I, I honestly I, I said to people before the game I'd probably play better on on Tuesday night and just giving Don a little bit of a breather. Yeah, I think it. I think it's going to have to come to that, isn't it? Because you've got to keep him mentally sharp as well, and he's he's starting to look like a player who needs a goal now. Yeah. Because you know when a striker goes a few games without one, that's when the starters go. You're right. You're playing all right, but you need the goal. And then when it sort of drops off a little against Fulham, you kind of think, okay, maybe come out for a game because as well, it's getting to that stage where he's going to be playing and he's going to know 60, 65 minutes he's coming off. Which when you're starting the game with that in your head, it, yeah. it automatically affects the way you're going to play as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I think probably need to mix it up. Sports. Just a, little, just a little bit of more cautious management, maybe. And, yeah. and, and again, Dice has done a brilliant job so far with him, getting, getting him back getting him back there. But I just, yeah. I, I, some of the goals he's got, I mean, like the, the one in the COVID derby at Goodison, where he gets on the end of a... a that leap. Dean. And just towers above them and puts it back in. That that's like him at his best for me. Yeah. Um. And I think we all love a, a headed goal, don't we? At Goodison, we we all want that from his number nine. He's he follows in a tra- tradition of loads of really good Everton number nines when it comes to heading the ball. Yeah. And also though, you, you know, you look on the flip side of that the last goal he scored for Everton, that one at West Ham. Yeah. That that turn and finish was brilliant. So yeah, he's uh he scored fifty and one hundred ninety four appearances. The the the. the, the, the so. Very quickly, the other thing about him as well, and this is a this is a media perspective more than anything else, rather than the fan one. He's the one. He's one of the ones you want after the game in the mix zone, as they call it. Okay. But the players come through, and journalists can ask whoever questions. Like if you get Dom, you know you're going to get intelligent, articulate answers. Yeah. And I, and, and you do from others, by the way. It's not it's not just him, but it's clearly again he thinks about the game. He speaks really well um, and speaks with honesty as well. So um, if you get Dom, Dom in the mix zone, you know you've done you know you've done well. We, we've spoken to him a few times already this season. He's always good. He's always good value. So I, I appreciate that because we, we live in an era in which they all get media trained and they're yeah. all taught not to say anything, aren't they? Basically, yeah, that's what media training so, is. Like the amount of times I've scrapped bits of interviews from what, what I've actually produced when it's gone out. And yeah. Take every game as it comes. I'll play wherever the manager wants me. <laughs> um, focusing on the next game, uh, all that kind of stuff. We have we haven't set a target for this season. We'll see how it goes. All that kind of stuff. It's just like the, you, you can't write a headline on that. You can't write a piece on that. It, it, it doesn't mean anything really. Um, but with 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 somebody like him, I, I think, think it, he's obviously got his own mind, and he he, he gives you a kind of a, a an, an honest, articulate answer. So I appreciate that as a member of the media. Yeah. We'll we'll move on then to someone who's famous for their interviews in another way, uh, not such a positive way. While he was at Everton, um, yeah. so your favourite, and I, do you know what? I'd actually forgotten again that we got him on loan first. But yeah. uh, your favourite borrowed player is Romelu Lukaku. Uh, what a shout! Yeah, I mean, I toyed with Landon Donovan um, for his impact, but I think this show is all about moments and memories and kind of leaving a mark. Donovan obviously did in some ways, but I couldn't actually f- think of many moments. Yeah, um, he only scored a couple of goals, and I think one of them was against Hull. Um, and he he left an him he left a mark. He, he left his imprint. But I, I I don't know. 
it was easy with Lukaku. Like, even his entrance as an Everton loan player, he came off the bench against West Ham in the game in which Baines scored two free kicks. Yeah. He scored a header and isn't able to celebrate because he's been absolutely clattered by the defender and goes down in a heap. And probably in different circumstances now, he'd have been in a concussion protocol and he wouldn't have played for the rest of the game. Um, But it was a really brave header. Um, Not always typical of Lukaku goal. Um, But I just loved watching him in that season. It was just, it was such an exciting time to be an Evertonian, the, the most exciting time. I wasn't a journalist covering the club at that point. So I experienced it from that fan perspective. So everything was giddy, but uh, giddy ex- uh, excitement and kind of untamed expectation. Yeah. Um, uh, playing in a free flowing side with Barkley and Dale Afeu. And it was kind of this young, dynamic, vibrant from three, wasn't it? And um, they looked like they were going places. So, so many goals in that run. I think he. He scored two against Newcastle as well. Um, had the dreads at that point. Yeah, I was going to say there was nothing. There was nothing quite like you say that header. Um, that header against West Ham. Did he score one against Liverpool as well? Mm. Yeah, great header at the Gladys Street and that's three all. That point wasn't quite like the dreadlock Lukaku throwing no, the header. No, I was. I was. I was going to say he should have kept them. Yeah. <laughs> he should have kept them. He had. A, he had other fantastic seasons at Everton. Um. But again, that kind of iconic image of him with his, with his dreads powering past defenders. And um, the header against Liverpool was great. Not, not yeah. many people speak about it um, because of what happened afterwards and what happened subsequently with Sturridge's goal at the end. But but he, he scored for Everton. Was it 2-2 and then 3-2? Yeah. Um, and was brilliant in that derby game. Um, I always think people pigeonhole him incorrectly. People always thought he was this, and he, and even Rom himself has, has been guilty of this. People look at his size and thought you're a big battering ram striker, and we have to play the ball into you like we did with Victor and Ichabi, and you've got to spin everyone. Yeah, but all his best moments, particularly in that season before he got bulkier, he was he was thin, streamlined, and he was a sprinter. Yeah, he, he was the guy that you'd play the ball into over uh, over the top in behind. And he would just roast players for pace. Um, I, I think one of his other goals, not during the loan spell, but against Manchester City, where he picked the ball up effectively on the halfway yeah. line and he had, and just sped past two or three, including Clichy. Um, and that was an amazing goal. Um, but he, yeah, go on. Just gonna say you, you couldn't you couldn't pitch them all, couldn't pigeonhole them when you look at the goals he scored. The one one that yeah. always springs to mind for me was the one against Bournemouth, I think in the six three. Mm-hmm. Where he scored in like the first thirty seconds, I think it was. But he just it in. And it's like he could score every conceivable type of goal you could score. Yeah, yeah. I remember he was um, probably his last season at Goodison, if memory serves, before he went on to Man United. He was for a long time leading the race for the top scorer. Yeah, leading the race in the charts, and right at the end, he got pipped by Harry Kane. Harry Kane finished on twenty nine, and Ron was on twenty six. But again, he was playing in a good Everton team. But it wasn't a team that was, was going for Champions League or even winning the title. So to come up with that kind of goal record, he was he was a pure he was a pure finisher, he's a pure striker. And it was just a shame that, first of all, he let himself down whenever he went away and did those interviews. In very typical I'm a Belgian international one. It's weird. 
Yeah. <laughs> we're all, all, all very familiar with that. But also that semi-final against Manchester United, where if he had two or three really big chances and fluffed his lines. Yeah. You just put one or two of them away, Everton would have been in another final. Um, I know. That, that, that sort of make, changes everything, that, doesn't it? If, he, if he's on form that day. The, pen, the penalty is saved, and to be fair, it's a decent, decent save from De Gea. But there were a few other ones I thought he should have scored. Um, and obviously that was, that was another crushing blow for them to have played so well. Yeah. Got back into the game. And then right at the end, with a patchwork side, with players, yeah, players effectively playing on one leg. Yeah. Given how injured they were, Mo Besic at right back, bizarrely, <laughs> um, which I, I never, ever wanted to see again. Um, they were so unlucky. And it's kind of a typical blow. But I think we have to remember just kind of, that to me was Everton on the up. Yeah. It was Everton with loads of lads that looked like they were going to go on to be the next big thing. Uh, didn't always quite get there in some of those cases, but they had so much potential. Uh, and was so exciting going forward. Um, and it, yeah, just, just a shame the way the way it worked out. But we, we, I, I, you just have to remember, like, as a pure goal scorer, he's the best I've seen. Yeah, yeah, oh, 100%. I think, I think probably for me as well. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's safe to say he is, he, he was, and it was a massive thing to get him in on loan again that season, and a huge thing to buy him. Um, yeah, yeah, good choice for loan player there. Very good. Martinez didn't do much wrong in that summer, did he? It was no, no, <laughs> no, he did subsequently un- unraveled, but that's the Everton story, isn't it? <laughs> Every time, yeah, in, in one game usually as well. Yeah, uh, we'll move on to your final one then. Your favorite toffees, then, uh, you got two, yeah. So, I'll leave it to you to go. Who do you want to go with first? I'll go with Andy Burnham first, who, for anyone that doesn't know, is the mayor of Greater Manchester, big Evertonian, attends games. I think in the is it the Bullens, the paddock around there, whenever he can, whenever the opportunity lets him. Um, and the, the, the part of this, I think, is first of all, his, his role as a, a voice, not for Merseyside as such, but the, the north of England. Yeah. Um, and how effective he has been at doing that. I think probably he's the most popular politician in the country right now, if you look at polling. Well, he's like he's like a real opposition, isn't he? Because he, he will. I know, I know it's, it's a bit of a north-south thing, the way he does it, yeah. but he will hold the government to account and disagree with things. Yeah. It's like, but the rest of the Labour Party all come yeah, to do it. Yeah. So. yeah, well, that's why he's slightly <laughs> on the outside at the moment. He's, he's obviously not yeah. an MP as such. He's, he's, he's a mayor of Greater Manchester and doing a very good job by all accounts. Um, so he, do, he does that and obviously credit him for all of that. But I think more recently, because of his profile, using that to, to, to really try and help the Everton cause with the Premier League points deduction and yeah. the appeal... Um, and the, the the tide may be turning from what was initially. We've been done ten points here, and everyone will agree with the ten point deduction if you're not an Evertonian. To actually, a lot of people coming round to the idea that maybe this is disproportionate. I think yeah. people like play a big role in that because when when it gets to a political level, when it when it makes headlines and papers and on the on the TV, you get that cut through, don't you? Yeah. Um, so he's he's done that brilliantly, and he's made a lot of lot of excellent points. Um, 
some of which we we we'd covered ourselves with with regards to kind of not to relitigate the whole thing, but the the lack of a sanctions policy and how yeah. arbitrary it all seemed to be, and the disproportionality of the the the, the sanction. Um, we he spelled all, it out really well, didn't he? He, he like did. really put it into black and white really well. Because he's, smart, he's a smart communicator, as such, isn't he? Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's very helpful for Everton's cause. Um, yeah. And it, it worried people who'd want to be worried by it. Um, so fair, fair play to him for that. Um, and then the other one, I couldn't split these two because I'm for very different reasons. But the other <laughs> one is um, is Joe Jody Comer, the the famous actor. Um, another case. Liverpool born, Liverpool raised, gone on to do amazing things. Yeah. Um <clears throat> I just love the fact that her dad, Jimmy, is there as the Everton first team master. <laughs> about as as blue and about as um as scouse as they come. Um yeah. yeah, I I can remember coming out of Finch Farm a few weeks ago and he was he was there in his his full Everton kit on the way out. Um Whistling, I think it was Spirit from the Spirit of the Blues. <laughs> I've just got this image of that played on Luca Finch Farm. Now that's all they hear. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope so. I hope so. But it, I mean, it's 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 often said about Everton that it feels a really, real kind of family club, because when you get to Finch Farm, most of the people you encounter, long term staff, yeah, or Evertonians, the the kind of the doorman, the receptionist, people like Jimmy Comer, Jimmy Martin previously. Yeah. All these guys and there's that kind of Evertonian core there, and they're almost kind of that they, they impart the cultural knowledge on new people coming into the club. They're they're the ones that are kind of almost driving Evertonian standards day yeah. in day, which is which is really interesting as a concept and um, one that I know a lot of people I've spoken to have actually mentioned before. Um, but but obviously he works at the club. He he's an Evertonian. J- Jody because of that grew up in Evertonian as well. Um, and I think she's spoken a bit before how she s- supports the Blues and wants them to do well. So again, getting the message out there, getting it is, isn't it? Yeah, on a on, on a massive on a world stage, really. That isn't it. And, it is. Uh, it is. You know, she's a good ambassador. She's yeah. not someone you look at and you cringe. You think, oh god, but she's she's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of that plus the the ability, the obvious ability, is it as an actor? You know, I I watched Killing Eve throughout. Yeah. Started to get a little bit tired of it by the end. I think the earliest, the early ones are brilliant. Yeah, series, series, some of the best TV in a in a while. Yeah, started to fade a little bit in terms of the plot line and everything else. Um, but what a show it was. Yeah, um, and created by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I think is exceptional as well. Um, as somebody in that field. Um, so I mean, like two of us, completely different. Once you did the the the, uh, the COVID thing with Stephen Graham. Like yeah. a completely different vibe. Yeah, she uh, she is something else. That was, I mean, that very important for other reasons, and just I suppose raising awareness and bringing to light some of the harsh conditions people kind of had to work in over, over that period, and that again that cut through everywhere. Like my my um, my girlfriend's family lived down south, and they were watching that, and that probably some of what was very close to the bone in that. They wouldn't have known, yeah, so much um, because not, our media hasn't always done a great job of <laughs> some of the inadequacies to light. Um, yeah. 
in, in certain cases. Um, but no, I just think it was uh, another great, great piece of great piece of TV. Another fantastic role for her, um, and kind of a versatility in her acting as well. So um, all of that, and I think she was the year below me at school. I, I went to SFX, which is in uh, Walton Village. That was an all boys comprehensive, and then close by had St Julie's. Um, which was the old girl. St. Julie's is the most Liverpool sounding school I've ever heard. It is. It is. <laughs> said, said in the Liverpool accent as well. Um, <laughs> it, it is. But um, I believe, so they, she would have been the year below me at school. I believe she grew up and was, was effectively best mates with, you know, Katarina Johnson Thompson. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Athletes. And it's just like you go through this and like just this one year at a Liverpool girls' comprehensive, Liverpool Catholic girls' comprehensive, you've got Jodie Comer, one of the best actors actors around and the, the world champion heptathlete and in the same friendship group it's like it's it's absolutely remarkable like statistically, awesome. absolutely like statistically if you if you kind of manage to put a number on that i bet it would be <laughs> i bet it'd be so unlikely but amazing nonetheless yeah two good choices there again for your blues as i say you couldn't uh come split between them i can see why uh, good choices right across the board there, Paddy. Cheers for coming on. Nice one. Take it easy. Speak to you soon. You too, mate. Sports Social Podcast Network.